it's so good to be alive, isn't it? Um, you know, there was a time in my life when I was just helpless. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't even dress myself. I had to just lie in bed at the hospital and just cry until my mom came and picked me up and took me home. So for all of you don't know, that was a joke. <laughs> it was the day I was born. <laughs> yeah, I thought that would fall flat, but that's okay. <laughs> but my point is, it's so good to be alive today and um, for you guys to be here today. And uh, the Father has sent his son to set us free like we were praying and, and singing about that we are free, that um, we are not in bondage. For those who come from a country like India or a place that they actually have bondage, my mom grew up in Iran, you know, or they actually are not free to do anything. She couldn't even speak the language that she was um, born into. She was a Syrian, you know, the Ninevites and the Assyrians of the Bible. And they were not free to even speak Assyrian in school or in their homes. They had to do it underground. So they had to learn Persian or Farsi. And, you know, some people in India are born into the caste system where you are of one caste and that's it. You can't go above it or below it or anything else. That's it. So if you were set free from that, or if you were actually in prison, you'd be like, I'm free? What? I can do things? I'm not, like, restricted? But for us in the Western culture, we don't really understand that concept. So I, I hope to um, enlighten some, uh, you know, parts of that today. So that's, I actually wasn't planning on sharing any of that. So thank you, Lord. <laughs> I just want to, want to share about the power of God in my life, the power of the testimony of Jesus. If you were here last week and you heard Claire sharing her testimony, she said it perfectly. If it can happen for you, it can happen for me. Just like the Bible says in Revelation 19 in verse 10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what that means is when you tell the testimony of Jesus in your life, I am prophesying to you, it's going to happen to you or it can happen to you, and, and you can believe that today. So um, I'll just pray before I get into my story. Thank you, Jesus, that you are amazing and that you're wonderful, that, that the, ho the house today is, is due for a breakthrough. Lord, that the word today was breakthrough, that, that everybody who prayed this morning said breakthrough. So we just pray for that breakthrough. Holy Spirit, let me be your mouthpiece. I pray that your anointing would come today on every person's eyes of their hearts would be opened. We pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be on them, that, that they would just understand the word today, that it would be so uh, for them, that they would grab hold of it and they would know that it's for them today. We thank you, Jesus, and amen. All right, so I have my story, Saved by Grace Through the Power of God. It had to be through the power of God because I really hated the idea of God. <laughs> I, well, let's say from the time about 13, I grew up in Chicago, outside of Chicago, the suburbs of Chicago, really. Um, let's see if this works. Oh. Before I get into it, I did have a word from God today about um, the verses that you guys, that you prayed today was. I had a, I'm just going to put this up here. I'm going. <laughs> oh, going the wrong way. <laughs> Sometimes it's the story of my life. Going backwards. There we go. All right. I went too far. Isaiah 41, 9 to 14. This is for somebody today. So I want to read this out so that by the end of the service, when I pray, that this can be on your mind. Now, I didn't talk to Wes or Jimmy about anything about this verse, but this is what God gave me. 
basically that you have been chosen and you are not rejected. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, um, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will hold you with my righteous hand. And skip down. Um, the other one's really good. We should read it, but just for time's sake. I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm of Jacob, you men of Israel, I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Now, how many of you know that when God repeats something, he really, really, really means it? <laughs> and he is even calling Jacob a worm. <laughs> That's not very encouraging, right? It just means that you are nothing. Like, you, don't, you can't help yourself. You just, even though you feel small and worthless, you are not worthless and small, that you are mighty. God makes you mighty. And so this um, is... I just thought I'd share that today for you. So I grew up in Chicago. For those who don't know America, um, it's quite big. It's about the size of Australia, the, the whole America. <coughs> about 45 minutes north of Chicago there. <coughs> Excuse me. I had a lovely family. I have uh, two older brothers. My parents are still together, praise God. And um, they uh, were passionate. They were passionate every way. So there was a lot of strife in our home um, when it was either loving passionately or, um, yeah, the other thing, which I, I was, <laughs> I grew up very sad. <laughs> I grew up very um, uh, rejected and feeling not good enough. So whatever I was doing, it was, I just felt like it was just not enough. So I always tried to escape. I was always trying to run away. Like even when I was little and I'd get in trouble, I'd pack my bag and I'd put it in my backpack and I'd run out the door and I'd walk down the street and I'd probably make it about 10 feet and I realized I can't cross the street. So I gotta go home. So I'd walk home. <laughs> I'd get home and I'd just be so mad. But you know, God was working on me. <laughs> so that was kind of my mindset growing up. I was looking for love in all the wrong places as the cliche is. I literally would go to everything but God, because I didn't really know God. We went to church on a Sunday and Easter and Christmas and all that, but I didn't know that I could know God personally. I didn't know that I could pray to him personally. I would say my nightly prayers, um, the same prayer over and over, kind of in a rote way, like maybe the Catholics or we grew up Lutheran, which I feel very similar, is a very similar thing to that, which is odd because Martin Luther tried to get away from that, but that was in America anyway. I don't know if it's the same here. But um, then I, I found soccer. <laughs> soccer was my love. I loved it. I could be, you know, mean on the soccer field, and it was legal, and <laughs> could sort of nudge people a little bit harder than I should, and, and it was sort of an outlet for me. And then um, when I was 13, no, 15, sorry, I tore a ligament in my knee, and that ended my career. And so I was just devastated. I was so heartbroken. And I blamed God. Not that it's his fault, but that's what I did. I said, you didn't prevent this from happening. How many of us have had those thoughts? You didn't prevent this from happening. It's your fault. Even though I am the one who did the bad slide tackle and my foot went that way and my leg went that way and thus tore my ligament. So this began, I started to think, what's the point? What is the point of my life? Why am I even here? Why am I striving so hard to be fit, to be clean? My friends were off doing their drugs, drinking, doing all that. And I was never, I was, I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to be fit. I'm going to keep my body fit. I'm going to be, because I'm going to be in the Olympics one day. <laughs> that was my dream. And um, I don't think I was good enough. I was very deluded. But anyway, it's good to have dreams. <laughs> 
And um, so I just thought, what's the point? Started to get a bit of suicidal thoughts, like my life is over. Um, even though at 15, you really don't know much of your life yet. I was still so young. I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, that is just crazy to think that. So I really hung out, started hanging out with the wrong crowd, got into drugs, started, you know, um, one bad decision after the other, just it went downhill very quickly. And it was all to do with the group of friends I was hanging out with. Eventually got into a relationship with a guy who was in a gang. He introduced me to doing heroin. Um, yeah, that happened so quick. And I didn't even know what I was doing. I was so clueless as a 16-year-old kid that just think, oh, this person likes me, so I'm going to just do whatever. And that was, that was bad. Meanwhile, all this is happening. My brother Brian, who... Um, you know, I was two years older than me, and he was the exact opposite of me growing up. He loved my mom and dad, and he told them he loved them, and he was so compliant, so, and I was the opposite. <laughs> I wanted to do everything, but I was running away, and he, he was trying to, um, you know, get along really well, and he did. And so he goes off to university in Arizona. I didn't put that up, but you can see over there, down in Arizona, down at the tip, and, like, by Mexico, which is not up there, but place called Tucson, and he was walking in the university campus one day, and he meets a campus minister and says, you know, hi, would you like to do a survey? So my brother's like, yeah, sure. He, my brother's, he's kind of funny like that. If you're listening, Brian, I love you. Thank you for praying for me. And I apologize for anything that comes after this. But anyway, so he fills out the survey, and there's three questions on the survey. It said, do you believe you go to heaven when you die? Oh, my brother was so happy. Yes, I believe in heaven. I go to heaven when I die. The second question, why do you believe? He said, oh, he's so proud of himself. I go to church. I believe in God. I'm basically a good person. I've never hurt anybody, and I've done the best I've could. And I've tried to keep all the Ten Commandments. And he did. He really did. He was, a, he was a good boy on the outside, very opposite to me. Then the third question says, does it surprise you that according to the Bible that actually none of those answers above will get you into heaven? And he stopped in his tracks and thought, what? Yes, that surprises me. And he was kind of mad. He was like, who is this person telling me that I'm not going to heaven? Well, it really wasn't him. He said, well, it's according to the Bible. He's like, would you like to do a Bible study and, sh and see what the Bible says? And he said, well, yes, I want to prove you wrong. So he started meeting with the guy to prove this guy wrong, why he was a good person going to heaven. Well, the first month, I think, of the Bible study, the first one of the scriptures he read was, there's none that is good, not even one. And all of our sins, like the wind, take us away from God, that even our good deeds are like a filthy garment to God. So basically, if you're unclean, like if you're covered in cow muck, and you try to go into Pastor Wes's house, say, can I clean your house, please? And your gumboots are full of junk and dirt and poo and all that, and you're thinking, he's thinking, no, you cannot come into my house. Well, I would say that anyway. Um, go take a shower first, and then come, right? So that's the point, is we are unclean by just being born into this world. And so he didn't realize that. He thought he was born good, and I stayed good. So then I am good, but no. We're born sinful into a sinful world, and we need to be cleansed from our sin. We don't get any more good by living our life by ourselves. We need someone to cleanse us from our sin. So that's... He didn't realize that. Then he read, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God in John 3.3. 3. And he thought, I'm born again? What's that? I've never even heard of that. Clearly, I'm not born again. So he came to the realization that he's not good. He needed to be born again. And so he did. He gave his life to Jesus. He had a powerful experience with God one day. So he wants to run home and tell his baby sister, who's such a sinner, how much she needs Jesus. And you need to repent and do all this. And, hey, you need to stop doing that. You need to stop doing this. You need to stop doing this. And I thought, who is this brother that I grew up? We went to the same church growing up. 
You weren't a Hindu. You weren't a Buddha. You weren't Muslim. What do you mean you became a Christian? I was so confused. And I was angry that he was telling me that I needed to change. Because I thought I was fine. You know, I'm happy doing my thing. And who wants to be told they're wrong? Not me. But anyway, so... I just, li- I got so mad at him, I'd cover my ears, I'd go, la, 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 I'm not listening. I'd run away, slam doors, swear at him, just get just so angry. I was so angry with him that that actually turned me off from God and the Bible. So I was, I would actually say, I put limitations on what he could say to me. He said, if you want to talk to me, you want to hang out with me, you cannot mention the words Jesus, God, or the Bible. You are not allowed to talk to my friends about Jesus, God, or the Bible. Because he would start every sentence with, God says this, Jesus says that. Did you know the Bible says this? And I really don't care. Like, I don't want to know that, Brian. Go away, you know. <laughs> I want to be, I want to party and do my thing and have fun and not think about all these things that make you feel bad. And so um, I, you know, I just, yeah, I got really angry with him. So one day, I got mad at him. I slammed the door, and he slipped this note under my door, and he said, you know, I'm really sorry I made you mad. I love you. And this is why I'm telling you all these things. And he wrote out a story for me about how he became a Christian, And I remember stopping in my tracks, and it was nothing he had said, but it was the love that he showed me. He said, I'm sorry, and I love you. That was very unusual for my brother. (laughs) That was not all the goody-two-shoe stuff. For for him to stop and say, I love you, it it was just unheard of. We would just try to, you know, compete with each other. Who could hurt each other more in the way of, like, not physical hurt? So, like, I'd destroy your room, so I'll destroy your doll. Um, you destroyed my doll, so I ripped the head off your G.I. Joe kind of thing. You know, it was just kind of always this back and forth. We never said I love you and meant it unless mom said, tell your brother you love me, I love you. Yeah. Tell your sister you love me, I love you. You know, that whole thing. My kids do it now to each other. It's kind of funny. Sorry! That's, that doesn't really, you don't really mean that. You just said sorry, but your body and voice didn't say sorry. So that was kind of, um, that's what really spoke to me more than any words spoke to me. So... I had this bad taste in my mouth for Christians and church and all that. So while he prayed for me, he stopped, he stopped preaching to me and kind of clued in. This is not working. So he started praying for me <laughs> behind the scenes. And that's when my life got worse. So it really did. And, and I started, so I started getting addicted to drugs, stealing, doing all that bad stuff. Lock your cars at night because I was one of those people that would go around your cars and open the doors and look for stuff and money and other keys and other cars. And one time we stole another car because the people left the keys in one car for their other car. And we figured it out. And so we took their car so we could drive it to. And then we got caught. And I got arrested. And I got caught with drugs. That's not my drugs. Somebody just put them in my pocket. Like, I don't know. I've never seen that before. And so I tried to lie about that. And um, then... <laughs> I got home, I got arrested, and I was 16, and, and um, uh, around the circumstances of that time was a very, really rough time. My family did not react well, as you can imagine. So again, I felt really rejected, wanted to run away. So I did. I jumped out of my two-story window and drove a stolen car down to Florida with my boyfriend at the time. And I was missing for, for five days. So I was like a 16-year-old that you put like one of those Amber Alerts, like, have you seen this person? But they didn't have Facebook at the time. So I don't know what they did, put you on milk cartons or something. Like, I was missing. They knew I had left the city. They knew I did was in Indiana. And they didn't, that's all they knew. So my parents and everybody are praying for me. And they're trying to find me. But one, you know, we get down, we, we run out of drugs, and I'm starting to withdraw. And, oh, boy, that is the worst feeling in the world. Try 
um, adding flu and food poisoning and the worst stomach cramps, leg cramps, fever, chills all at once, times that by a thousand, and then throwing up on top of it and just laying just out. You were laid out. And that's what started to happen in Florida down there. And my brother got together in his church on the Sunday afternoon in their small group. They got together and they literally prayed that they would get arrested, that I would get arrested. Thank you, church. <laughs> I'm thankful now, but not the time was not so funny because it really was a miracle of God. This began the power of God in my life. I can look back and say, this is when the miracles began. Um, just, it would take too long to explain it all, but I was forced to get in the car and drive to, the, to get drugs. There was, happened to be a cop that followed us that thought, this looks suspicious, and he ran our license plates and found out it was stolen. It was just like the episode out of Cops. You know, they, we drove, we thought, oh, we'll drive into this parking lot. We thought, oh, yeah, we're about to get out of the car and ditch the car, and literally about 10 cop cars surrounded us. Guns drawn, get out of the car. <laughs> I'm laying in the back seat because I can't move. The three people in the front get arrested. And I'm just laying there and I'm thinking, oh, they're going to come and find me and they're going to be mad because <laughs> I didn't get out of the car. And they come and they, what is this, a clown car? There's another one in the back. Get out of here. And then, you know, they come and they arrest me and they take me to the police station. Now, this is the crazy part about um, God's grace. So I have up here that the, the number of, of the five in the Bible symbolizes grace. And... Um, People have written books about it and stuff like that. You can look it up. But just ba some basic things, the fivefold ministry. Um, there's apparently seven miraculous births in the Bible. The fifth one was Hannah. Her name was Grace. It was, she, she gave birth to Samuel. The five names for the Messiah in Isaiah 9. Um, wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And, of course, the five wounds of Jesus on the cross that canceled the five eye wills of Satan that he set in his heart. And... Um, so the number five in, in the story is quite significant because when I got arrested, it was five days from my 17th birthday. When you're 17 in America, you can be charged as an adult, which means five to 15 years of sentencing per felony. When I was arrested, I was charged with five felonies. If I had been convicted of just one of those felonies, I could have been in jail for a minimum of five to maximum of 15 years for one of those felonies. Had I been convicted of all five of those years, you do the math. That's a lot of time in jail, minimum of a 25-year sentence at a 17 years old. So five days from my 17th birthday, wow, God's grace. Um, the cool thing is, is also they only had six hours to come and claim me, my parents. It was a Sunday afternoon before a holiday in America. I think it was Memorial Day. It was in September sometime. I don't know what it is. But they had to get a judge to have a court order to say she needs to be retained by the police in Florida since my warrant was for Chicago. So for the Florida police, I don't know why this law, they can't hold me because my warrant's not in Florida. Um... They, my, or my parents had to come claim me because I was only 16. I was a juvenile. This is, I think they've changed this law now because it's a silly law. Within the six-hour gap, if they don't come and get you or they don't get a court order, they have to let you go to a runaway shelter. Oh, boy, was I looking at that clock like, okay, one more hour. Gets to the fifth hour, and literally in the fifth hour, which is my 11th hour, my parents walk in the door. Now, here's the thing. Do you see how far away this was? That is a long plane ride. That is a four-hour plane ride. <laughs> it takes at least half an hour to drive from my house to the airport in a good day. 
Happened to be Sunday afternoon, no, no traffic. Then they have to find a flight that they haven't prearranged. They walk in the door. The next flight leaves in 10 minutes. You can get on board, pre-9-11. Um, and then find a rental car at the airport in Florida. Drive to the police station in five and a half hours, they claimed me. And boy, was I gutted. <laughs> Thankful now, but I was gutted at the time. Oh. But I was so sick, I was tired of running, and I was, I was, I was really, really sick. Actually, I almost was on death's door, doorstep, I found out later. Um, I got brought back to Chicago by airplane with the police. And the police said to me, do I have to handcuff you? Are you going to run again? I said, I can't even walk. <laughs> I'm not running anywhere. So I, I, you know, the police escort on the flight back home. And I get to the, um, the first thing they do is they take me straight to the hospital. And the doctor said, you are one very lucky girl. One day later, you would have been dead from dehydration. In one day, my body had shut down so violently from the dehydration of being withdrawing from drugs. <clears throat> that, that was it. And I, I felt like that. That's how I felt. I couldn't even move. I was so tired and sore and sick. And, and then they brought me to the juvenile hall, and I got booked and all that stuff. And then my mom petitioned the judge to take me to a locked-up hospital, to a psychiatric ward where they, they lock you up and they can't let you go. <laughs> and I was thinking, how can I escape out of here? But it was super high. They had all these things on the window. I was trying, always trying to escape. See, that was my runaway from bondage. I didn't want to just be held down, so <laughs> I couldn't escape. I got out on my 17th birthday from the hospital, and um, that's when the funny things start happening. Um, I got sent to rehab. They didn't have an inpatient rehab, so I got an outpatient rehab for four days a week, and I'm being drug tested, so I couldn't do drugs. So I did everything but, you know, smoking cigarettes, um, I don't think I could, I couldn't get away from my mom to get under her, so I got myself a homemade tattoo, so I thought, this is the only rebellious thing I can do in my room. <laughs> don't recommend it to you teenagers. Don't do it. It looks silly later on when it fades. <laughs> and um, so my mom didn't know what to do with me. I was, I was just so mean. I was mad, and I was mean. And so she said, I'm going to send you to Arizona to visit your brother and go to church. I want you to get saved. <laughs> I'd rather go back to jail. I don't want to go to church. I have to spend a whole weekend with this brother who keeps telling me I need to change and repent and give my life to Jesus. I don't want to hear this. And so she did. She sent me to, to Arizona. Now, I had a plane ticket from the year before, again, pre-9-11. You had one year to use your plane ticket. This was a Thursday night. This is another miracle. There was a Thursday night. Um, I had school the next day. It was about 11.45 p.m. 15 minutes. Before, again, there's a five, 15 minutes before midnight. My mom insists that I call the airline. And I said, no, I don't want to call the airline. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Call the airline. No, I don't want to call, call the airline. No, call the airline. Fine. So I pick up the phone, and I say, all right. I'm like huffing and puffing, and I'm talking to the airline guy, and he says, oh, it's amazing you called when you did. Had you called 15 minutes later, you wouldn't have been able to use this ticket. It expires next week, and you have to call seven days in advance to get on the flight, and you got one of the last seats on the flight. <laughs> Again, oh, here's that coincidence thing. So all these coincidences I felt kept happening, and my brother's kind of telling me these are miracles, these are not coincidences, and I, you know, I told him off for that. I didn't want to hear it. So we get to church on Sunday after a weekend of hanging out with the Christians that I so didn't like. 
but God started to soften my heart. They were fun. I started to enjoy myself a little bit. I'm starting to enjoy this. It's a little bit fun, but I'm not going to tell anybody. So we get to church on Sunday, and the worship starts, and there's a band. They had drummer, and for me, growing up, the pews with the hymns and the hallelujah, it was so weird for me. I was like, oh, is this allowed? Like, does God know that you guys have a band here? Like, isn't that, like, bad? Like, is, and everybody's raising their hands, and it looks like a concert. Like, what are they doing, and why? And should I be raising my hands, and what is happening? And I just was so confused. And the, the guy who, like, was leading the worship, he started to pray. And he says, God brought you here for a reason. It's not by coincidence or mistake that you're here today. And I thought, ah, Brian, why did he tell that guy to say that? That's so bizarre. He really wants me to get saved. Like, he told that guy to say coincidence so that I would be touched. It's not going to work, Brian. And I got really mad at him. And I, he wasn't even sitting next to me. He was doing the sound. He was, like, I was sitting where Tasha's sitting, right in the middle there. And he was sitting all the way at the back. And I thought Brian had told him in his ear, he had sent, you know, a message through this micro, secret microphone. I was so paranoid. Ex-drug addict, secret microphone. Tell, tell this to the church so Danielle believes this. That's what I felt like he said. I was so convinced. And I used like... I got you. I'm not going to believe this. I really, really hardened my heart. But the very next thing he said, when the Lord is speaking to you, do not harden your heart. And I was like, seriously, like, (laughs) how did he know that? I was so confused. I was like, wait a minute. There's no way Brian could have known that. There's no way he could have secretly told him to say that. What? (gasps) Oh. And it hit me, for the first time ever, it hit me. That means God is real. That means God knows who I am. I'm in trouble. <laughs> I have done a lot of bad things. See, I didn't get, I didn't feel bad before. I didn't feel bad that I got, I got bad, I felt bad I got caught. But if I didn't get caught, I would have been doing the same thing I would have been doing. Actually, I was trying to find ways that I could, new creative ways that I could keep doing what I was doing without getting caught. But it was for the first time ever, I was like, I am going to be held accountable to God. I'm going to stand before him one day, and I'm going to have to answer for this. Now, I have stood before a real judge before. It is very terrifying. (laughs) I don't want to raise your hand. I don't want you to raise your hands. But if you've ever had to stand before a real judge and claim that, yes, I am guilty of my crimes, that is a bit terrifying. That's just a human judge. I can't imagine what it would be like to the real judge. The, the, the giver of life judge to say, you, have, you need to answer for your crimes. Now, this is where it gets cool, because this is where the power of God hit me. I'm sitting in my seat, and I'm thinking, um, you know, the guy, the sermon was all about God's life plan for your destiny. He's got it all planned out. You just have to choose that path. He drew a Y on the board. You know, living your life for yourself or living God's life. And all you do is just change. You just do a line. If you want to change your life, just change. Didn't say, repent, be baptized, be born again, nothing like that. It was just, do you need to change your life? Just change your life. And I was like, I, no, thank you. I'm fine. 
I grabbed my side of my seat and thought, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I don't steal that much anymore. I actually only shoplift a little bit when I go to the store now. And I'm not, like, doing drugs anymore because I'm drug tested. But I only smoke, like, one pack a day. And, you know, I was trying to justify my, <laughs> my sin, my lesser sin. And um, then, it, then the power of God hit me. And that's when I felt this tangible bubble of, around me. Like, I was the only person in the room under a spotlight. And God was highlighting me. And I got really uncomfortable and really antsy. I would love to tell you that the power of God was so beautiful and it enveloped me with just this greatness, but it didn't. I felt really guilty all of a sudden. I was like, oh my gosh, I, oh, what do I do? I'm so bad. Oh my goodness. And the conviction, that's called conviction, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, the guy who's preaching, um, he says, if you want to change your life, come up to the front. And I fought so hard to stay in my seat. <laughs> I really, I think I even held, I was like, I don't want to get up. Who would go up there? That's so embarrassing. I literally thought that. Who would stand up the front to get prayed for in public in front of other people? Like, I was so embarrassed. And, um, and then it was like this, then that enveloping love hit me of waves of love and forgiveness. And it was like God, in my own thoughts, was saying, I love you and I forgive you. And I recognize this isn't my own thoughts here. I don't really say I love you to myself. I didn't love myself. I wanted to die, you know. I, I was unhappy with myself. And, and then I felt this forgiveness, this overwhelming sense of forgiveness. Like I was standing before the judge. And he said, not only do I know what you've done, but I forgive you. And you're set free. And you don't have to pay the sin, the penalty for your sin any longer. And I've paid it. And I was like, <gasps> and that's when I jumped up out of my seat. And it was like I was being pulled by a cord in my heart. Like I couldn't help it. The cord was pulling me forward. <clears throat> and I jumped and I ran up the front and I just started bawling and weeping and I couldn't stop and I was so happy I was smiling and I was laughing but I was crying so hard it was ugly crying and <laughs> I didn't know what was happening to me I really really didn't know I didn't understand being born again I didn't understand these this fancy language that people talk talk about in church I didn't get it all I knew was I was bad before and I want to change now and I want to just find out who this God is and follow him. I don't know what that means. I don't even know what the Bible says. But I want to do this. Let's do this. <laughs> so I went back to my seat. And I was sitting next to a minister, a campus minister, thing, thankfully. And she opened up the Bible. First verse she read to me was Romans 2, 4, which says, The kindness of God leads you to repentance. And she explained God's kindness is God's love. And repentance means change. I was like, that's just what happened to me. I felt love from God, so I went to the altar to change. And then she, you know, talked about the Psalm 51. She showed me, it says that um, he will wash you, make you whiter than snow. And I felt like that was that cleansing, that crying, that, that, but that weight was lifted off. Like I was no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God now. And I, I felt that. I felt so free. So you couldn't, you couldn't, um, you couldn't shut me up after that. <laughs> I was so full of hate before, and I got so filled with love. I was 
seriously so uncomfortable to be around. I was like that crazy person who you just don't want to talk to because you're like, that person's going to tell me about Jesus, and, that, and I don't want to talk to that person. I became my brother, basically. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, she's love. I love Gia. And I was just like a blabbering fool because I became a fool for Christ because he had set me so free from the life that I lived before in the darkness. And the cool thing was is I just was praying about this, and this um, verse came, I came across you know, this verse in Ephesians explains my life exactly, and, and I'm, I just love it so much. You can, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. You can read it here. It says, um, Ephesians 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That was me. And among them, too, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Everyone say, but God. Rich in mercy. Because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for it is by grace you have been saved. Now, what verse number is that? Interesting. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that the in the ages to come, that's us. We're the ages to come. Yeah, me and you. Woo! In the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Again, here it is. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. This is what I love, this one. Through faith, it is not of yourselves. <laughs> Say, it is not of myself. <laughs> love that. So that in, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't boast about being saved <laughs> because you didn't do anything. You did nothing. I did nothing. I was the opposite. I can't boast, but I can thank Jesus because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. What? Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in him. Hold on a minute. I thought it, we, it wasn't by good works. This is crazy. So I started to get something here. It's not by works you're saved. But God saved you despite your works so that you can do good works. The good works comes after you're saved. There are a lot of good people out there that do a lot of good things without Christ Jesus. And it's okay, but it doesn't save them. Never does. Only Jesus can save you, but not to be selfish. You are not meant to be put on this earth so that you can think about your stuff and your sin. That sin was forgiven at the cross. You're set free. Move on. Move forward and look towards the good works because God has actually prepared them beforehand for you to walk in. That's so cool, right? In Romans 8, it's not up here, but it says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. What? What? Does that mean I have the resurrection power in me? Yes, that means I can pray for someone to be raised from the dead. What? That's crazy. What? That means the dead areas in 
my life can be raised from the dead. I don't ever have to go back to slavery. I don't have to go back to the bondage. Who wants to go back to jail? I don't. I'm set free from that. Thank you, Jesus. So I was changed in a moment of time. One moment God's power interrupted my angry life and totally changed me 180 degrees so that I can go out and tell other people what he did for me and do good works for him. So that's why I'm here today, is to tell you that what God did for me, he wants to do for you and you and everybody here so that you can go and do good works for God. Not to sit in your seats. It's beyond these walls. It's not just for you. He saved you so that you can bless others. That's the, it's the, it's the first thing that he told his disciples to do. When he left, well, that was one of the only things he told him to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples before he left earth. That would have been a very important message. Can you imagine that day? <clears throat> Can you imagine that? Jesus just rose from the dead. He appears to them again uh, 40 days. Help me with my theology. 50 days later? No, 40 days later? Uh, a few days later? Yeah, that's Pentecost. Thinking of. A few days later? Surprised, <laughs> they're in the wall. Now, I, I firmly believe Jesus was a, a prankster. Yep. He knew they would be scared when he walked on water. When he walked past them, and they, ah, it's a ghost. He must have been laughing. I love when people get frights. That's, that's just, I think it's so funny. <laughs> then he did it again. He did it again when they were sitting. And they were crow- cowering in their room with the locked doors, and Jesus walked straight through the wall. No, it's not a ghost. Look, it's flesh and blood. You can see. Give me something to eat. He even said that. I think that's hilarious. Just think about that. <laughs> then he gathers them. He says, go to Jerusalem. You know, go and, and wait for me in Gal- Galilee. Okay. I should have read my Bible before I came here. Anyway, they're standing there waiting for these instructions. Jesus appears to them and says, now go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. And then he flies into heaven. Wow. Talk about the first Superman flying into heaven. That would be so cool. Like, you know, you would certainly remember what he just said to you, right? They're all staring at him like this. You know, where did he go? And then the angel says, why are you looking up to heaven? Go, you know, don't just stand here. Go. So that's, you know, that's for us. Now, the very... Uh, next thing that happened after that, I went home. Sorry to pick up my story again. I went home, and I walked. I, uh, first, the pastor prayed for me to be healed of all my addictions. I quit smoking that day. I quit all drugs and addictions, got totally healed from on that day. It was amazing. I went home, and I told my mom, I'm so sorry, and I love you. I gave my life to Jesus. This was her face. <laughs> For those of you listening to my tape, mouth wide open, staring at me, and the literal words that came out of her mouth were, who are you, and what have you done with my daughter? I still think she maybe believes that I got abducted by aliens because it was so dramatic. It was so, um, I was so different. I was such a different person. You wouldn't have believed it like her. 
she started going back to church and with my dad, and they're doing great. They love Jesus. And so I, I, I was in high school at the time. I was only 17. And so I had one semester left of high school. And, oh, man, going back to that semester, that was funny. So I walk into school, and I had just been, you know, arrested, all that thing. I missed the first three weeks of my, high, my senior year of high school because I was off doing this stuff. <clears throat> I looked crazy. I looked sick. I was very skinny, and ugh, and then I gained a lot of weight back because I was, you know, from recovery. And all oh, the rumors going around high school were hilarious. I heard you on the FBI's most wanted list for robbing a bank. And I was like, really? That's cool. No, no, less cooler than that. And, and the people that I had used to hang out with, I didn't want to hang out with anymore. And it was amazing that nobody had to teach me how to, to stop that lifestyle. I just was so in love with God. He had changed me so much that I just decided I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to start following the Bible. And I decided that I wanted to go to university in Arizona, which is where I met God. So I thought, if I met God here... This is where I'm going to keep meeting God. And so I did. I moved there, and I did my degree, and then I felt like God had put all my heart to do full-time ministry, so I um, trained for that, and, and then I moved to New Zealand in 2004, and uh, there's another crazy story around that. Probably don't have time today, because I would like to pray for some people at the end, or to pray for you guys to feel the power, to, to experience the power of God um, for that, but for another time, hey, we'll, we'll explain that story another time. Got married and had kids. That was another faith testimony to, well, first get married and then have kids. But um, uh, I'll, I'll also share that another time. But I just wanted to uh, just finish soon. Um, oops, wrong way again. I'll get it one day. So I also felt this was on my heart. This scripture really, really helped me when I first became a Christian. So much. It's about cure for anxiety for your life. Like, literally, it says, don't be anxious. In the heading <laughs> of my Bible, it says, don't be anxious. And it's, you know, basically Jesus saying, why are you so anxious? You have little faith. Do you not think God will provide all these things? But in verse 33 is the main one. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. <laughs> wow. So, all you have to worry about is right now. The moment in time that you're living in right now. You don't even have to think about tomorrow. Yay! <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, that it was a mother of... Four young kids, yay! <laughs> you do not have to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. That means money, all of that. You don't have to worry. You of little faith, he says. But you just have to apply faith. Like Wes said this morning, the opposite of faith is fear. And that verse that God gave me says, do not fear. How many times did he say, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, do not even look anxiously about you. It's the same thing. Don't be anxious. So how could you even add one single hour to your life? Somewhere in there. You can't even add one minute. You actually will probably take away 
minutes from your life by worrying, they say. <laughs> they, whoever they are. Now, the last um, scripture I wanted to read is Hebrews 11.1. 1. I know we've read this a lot before, so I put it in a lot of different translations for you so that you could really, really get this in your heart. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Now, faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. Do you get that? Faith is saying, I already have in my hand what I want. I already have it. Now, I have a funny story about this. Um, when I was first here in New Zealand, and I, it's time for me to go home to America. It was the first time I was going to go home. And I was going to go home with um, Jimmy, was coming as well. We weren't married yet, and I liked him a little bit. And we were on the same flight from Auckland to uh, L.A. Then from L.A. to Tucson, we were not on the same flight. He was on the 12 o'clock flight, and I could not get on the 12 o'clock flight. I could not get on the 5 o'clock flight. I could only get on the 7 o'clock flight. So I was like, I don't want to stay in LAX for seven hours because we arrived at like 1130 or whatever. I don't want to stay there by myself, so I want to get on this flight. And so every day, it was like a few months away, I'd call every day on the airline. Is there an opening yet? No. Is there an opening yet? No. Every day. You have to ask when you get there. I'm going to call every day. I called. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm getting on this flight. And I determined in my heart that I'm going to get on this flight. The Bible says, faith is the assurance. I'm sure that I'm going to get on this flight. It says, if you have a mustard seed of faith... <laughs> You can move a mountain. This was my mountain I needed to move. I needed to move the flight time from 7 to 12. And so we get to L.A. They, um, Jimmy and two other, uh, another family was traveling as well, uh, get to the, to the security, and they, they go on to their next flight. And they, we landed late. So now it's even going to be even more challenging to get on this 12 o'clock flight because how many of you know you can't travel without your bags, right? They don't let you travel without your bags nowadays. So I thought, well, if I can maybe get my bags on the 5 o'clock flight, then I could go on this. And they're like, no, there is no way. So I get to the counter. I run up to the counter of my passport. And check it out. I need to change my flight from the 7 to the 12 o'clock. And the guy looks at me. There is no way you're getting on this flight. That's literally what he said to me. I said, I need to get on this flight. My friends are already on the flight. They're already there. I need to get on. He said, no, there's no way. I can maybe put you on standby for the 5 o'clock flight. But I was like, no, can you send my bags on the 5 o'clock flight and I'll go? He's like, you cannot travel without your bags. Gave me the whole thing. He's like, you are not getting on that flight. And I was like, yes, I am. And I grabbed my passport and I ran upstairs to the security. And I'm like, I'm going to take this up with the security people. Then I'm going to take it up with the, with the flight people. And I'm getting on this flight. The Bible says if I have a mustard seed of faith and I was claiming all these scriptures and I was saying, I am sure. Faith says the assurance of things hoped for. I'm hoping to get on this way. I'm sure. Now, I thought, you know, I'm either going to be really disappointed because of my presumption or I'm getting on this flight. <laughs> so I ran and I ran and I, I, I ran. I, I get to the um, security checkpoint. How many of you have been in a busy airport like LAX before or any busy big airport and you get to the security check and the line was literally from here to that back wall? And the flight is leaving in like two minutes. I was like, ah, oh. my heart sank and it broke just a little bit. And I cried. <laughs> I sat there and I cried. And I was like, there's no way now I'm getting on this flight. It's too long. It's too late. 
And then, nope, the scripture came again, a mustard seed. I just need a mustard seed. I was like, God, and now I prayed angry, angry prayers. You ever prayed an angry prayer? I am getting on this flight, God. You said, you said in mustard seed of faith, so I'm getting on this flight. I don't care what they say. And as soon as I prayed that, the lady next door, you know, like the checkout line where they open the new checkout, they opened up a new lane. And they pointed at me and said, you come. I was the first person in that lane. I was like, yes. I was like rejoicing. I was running. I ran so fast and, you know, putting, putting everything on the thing and picking my shoes off and, you know, doing every that and grabbed everything and ran. I ran so fast. It was like dumb and dumber. You ever seen that movie? He runs past the gate. He's like, hold that plane. And I ran past the gate and I run back and I get to the ticket counter and I said, I'm reading. The lady, a lady goes, I was like, oh, she's calling me. The lady's calling me. No, the lady goes, I was like, oh, I need to get on that flight. My friends are on there. She goes, oh, they just left. And I go, oh. She heard me. She just must have seen my heart break. And she goes, I'm so sorry. I was like, I really thought I was going to get on that plane. I was so sure. After I got through security, I was going to get on that plane. And I just sat there for like this. And she looks at me. She grabs her little thing. All right, hold the plane. And she puts it down. She goes, find any seat you can. I ran. I ran. I, got, I kind of sat down, and I was like huffing and puffing, smiling. It's so happy. And Jimmy and my friends are looking at me like, what's wrong with you? I got, I got on the plane. They had no idea what I had just been through. <laughs> but I got on that plane, and it didn't matter. So anyway, we're going to end now.